29 and 10, Paul says, for, uh, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in, in, human, in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. What exactly is Paul saying? What exactly does, does this mean? That's one of the two questions I want to address today. The second question I want to address is why Colossians? Why is it important for us to study Colossians here at the Bible Fellowship Assembly at this time? I'm going to read the, read the verses and then uh, go forth from there answering these two questions. I'm just going to borrow a few verses from chapter 1 and then proceed to the verses in chapter 2. So reading from the New Living Translations, we, there's Paul speaking, and I want you, when I read this, to try to, to make it personal, to, to try to picture this as a letter to you, as a congregation, from one of the elders here, or from the elders as a group. Elders, try to picture this as a letter that you've written, or that you would write to the congregation. So we always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about, first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy always thanking the Father. The bottom part of Colossians 1, verse 24, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me, the elders, God has given us the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles also. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in the relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works with me. Colossians 2, verse 1. I want you to know how much I, I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. Or perhaps we can read that. I want you to know how much I've struggled for you here at the Bible Fellowship, Bible Fellowship Assembly and for the church in Shillington and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together uh, by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mystery plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and, and I rejoice that you are living the, the way you should, and that your faith in Christ Jesus is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as for yourself, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down in him, and let your lives be built up in him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thanksgiving. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies 
and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over uh, every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Amen. So what does it mean to be complete? Well, in in chapter 1, we read that uh, Paul says that Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing in his glory. That's a huge part of being complete in Jesus. Could you imagine? Try to grasp that, that God in bodily form, the whole Godhead in Jesus, and he wants us to share in his glory. And also in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, he says, you are already full. You have already become rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom. The two big parts of being complete, full in Christ, sharing in his glory and reigning with him in his kingdom. What does that look like? What does that mean for us? Let me give you an analogy that I came up with. It would be like as if Adam and Eve, Eve had never sinned. As if Adam and Eve had never eaten the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So I'm going to read to you here what I came up with, what I think that would look like if Adam and Eve had not sinned. So bear with me on this one. Then God said, Let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule uh, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over everything created that moves on the ground. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there the tree of, uh, was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, uh, to, um, in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are, you are free to eat from every tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the man and the woman, named Adam and Eve, inquired of God about the tree of life. I am spirit, the Lord said. Uh, I have formed you from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into you, and you became living persons. My desire is for you to worship me in spirit and in truth. If you eat of the tree of life, I will baptize you with my spirit, and you will see and enter my kingdom and live forever." Oh, no. Sorry. 
Okay. Um, for all the whole, for although the whole earth is mine, you will be for, for me a kingdom of holy people. And Adam and Eve said, "We will do everything the Lord has said." So when they saw that the fruit of the tree of life was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining complete understanding in order that they may know God and all the treasures, uh, treasures of his wisdom and knowledge, they took some and ate it. At that moment, the, heaven was open, the heavens were open, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and alighted upon them, and a voice came from heaven saying, These are my beloved children, whom I made in my image, whom I love, in them I am well pleased. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals uh, the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God truly say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from fruit, uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said uh, to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, in your, uh, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then Adam stepped forward. And Adam stepped forward and said to the serpent, Get behind us, Satan, for we will not put the Lord God to the test, but we will live by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. We will worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then war... Then war broke out in the garden, and Adam and Eve fought against the serpent, but the serpent was not strong enough, and he lost his place in the garden. They triumphed over him by the word of their testimony, and they rejoiced. And there came a white horse, whose whose rider is called Faithful and True. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. His name is the Word of God, and coming out of his mouth is, is a sharp sword. The devil who attempted to deceive the man and woman was thrown into the lake of uh, burning sulfur, where he was tormented day and night forever and ever. Then Adam and Eve worked the garden and took care of it. They multiplied and filled the earth and had dominion over it. Now, so this next part is what I think what reigning with Christ and sharing in his glory looks like. If someone were to ask me, what is heaven going to look like? In all honesty, this is what I would say. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the eternal Godhead and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. They were all together and had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of all the people. And they were filled with the knowledge of God's will through all wisdom and understanding that God's Spirit gave them and they lived lives worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him and in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in knowledge of God. They gave joyful thanks to the Father who shared with them the kingdom of his light. And the word who was in the beginning, who was with God and who was God, through him all things were made, in whom was life, the light of all mankind, uh, became flesh and made his dwelling among them. And he walked walked amongst his people in the cool of the day, and they were not ashamed to be in his presence. Then a loud voice came from, hangs, came from heaven, saying, God's dwelling place is among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be, be their God. 
The throne of God was in their midst, the midst of the people, and they will see his face, and uh, his name will be on their foreheads, and they will reign together forever and ever. That's how it was supposed to be, wasn't it? That's how God's kingdom was supposed to come to the earth. That's how mankind was supposed to share in his glory and reign with him by just living lives faithful to him, faithful to one another in true love and harmony. So most of you will recognize that, you know, like 90% of that was actually scripture. And you, will, and you will recognize that I actually jumped from the beginning of Genesis to selective verses in the New Testament. Why was I able to do that? Because in that story, Adam and Eve were obedient. And that eliminated the rest of the Bible. And three things, that, and we, we see that, uh, that, that obedience leads, led to God's blessings. And complete obedience led to God's complete blessings. And there's three things in that story that define God's blessings upon, uh, upon his people. That was the Spirit of God, the presence of God, and complete understanding of knowledge and wisdom and the will of God. But as we know, Adam and Eve were not obedient to God's command in the garden. And as Paul writes in Romans 5, consequently, one man's trespasses resulted in condemnation for all people. Through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So now here's mankind. Separated from God, separated from his spirit, separated from his presence, separated from his knowledge. Sin entered the world through one man, and death, separation from God, through sin, and that way death came to all people because all sin. Now mankind are sinners. We are dead in our transgressions, transgressions and sins. We follow the way of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of this world. We gratify the cravings of our flesh and we follow its desires. We are deserving wrath, powerless, ungodly, and enemies and strangers. So mankind now is completely inadequate of sharing God's glory and reigning with him on the earth. We have truly have no hope and without God in the world. So what do we do? What is left for us? What is God going to do to save us? Well, to be honest, it's a secret. It's a mystery. And as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, it's a mystery that has been kept hidden from the ages, for ages and generations, but now it is disclosed to the Lord's people. And the secret, as we read earlier, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This gives us assurance of sharing his glory. So how does our union with Christ make us full, make us complete, make us uh, qualifiers and make us adequate to share in God's glory and to reign with Him. Because Christ is complete. Because Christ is full. Because Christ is adequate. Because Christ was obedient. And therefore, God blessed Him. God blessed Him with His Spirit. 
God blessed him with his presence. And God blessed him with all the power and wisdom and uh, knowledge that is his. So Christ is complete, full of God's glory and reign with him. Adequate, adequate to qualify to reign with God in his kingdom. So that's why Paul can confidently say, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So you are complete through your union with Christ. Because Christ is complete, because Christ was obedient, because the Spirit of God dwells in Christ, because God's presence is with Christ, because all the wisdom of knowledge of God is in Christ, because of our, our position in Christ as believers, we too now are looked upon as obedient to God, as being uh, filled with His Spirit, having God's presence and having God's wisdom and knowledge completely. So just as one man's trespasses resulted in condemnation, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Just as the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, all will be made righteous. And what is this obedient act of righteousness? When you, were, when you were dead in your sins in the, uh, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He, he forgave us all our sins, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and con- condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I'm going to owe Dave Hook a, a Bitcoin on this one. Dave Hook used this beautiful, beautiful analogy this morning that explains... The, the power of the cross. Most of you heard it. I'm going to say it again for those of you who weren't here. Dave took a course on uh, resuscitation, on using a defibrillator. And, and as most of us know, what a defibrillator does, it stops the heart from fibrillating, right? When the heart starts pounding out of control and whatnot. But what I think most of us don't know is what the defibrillator actually does. It, is, it actually stops the heart completely. And then, as Dave said, the hope is that the body, that the heart will restart itself. So the refibrillator doesn't restart the heart. It stops it completely so that um, it may start again. And Dave said, they point out that it's a wonderful picture of the power of the cross. As sinners, we are defibrillating, out of control, not living properly. But then the power of the cross comes along and it completely stops us. It stops the sinful life, the sinful nature that we had, the sinful life we were living, the sinful nature we had inherited from Adam. It completely stops us. Then Jesus gives us a new heartbeat. And this heartbeat is in sync with God's heartbeat. Now God's spirit is within us. God's presence is within us. His knowledge and his wisdom and his will is within us. And our heart is pounding the same, same as God. And we have this new life because he has completely stopped our old life. 
and as they did the communion, if, if I can carry on that analogy, that, that uh, where God's power exceeds the example of the, de- the, of the defibrillator, where uh, after the person is resuscitated from their cardiac arrest or heart attack, whatever it was, the doctor is unable to, to put a seal on that person and say, this will never happen to you again. You will never die again. But God is able to do that. Through our union with Christ, through the power of the Spirit, through His presence with us, through His wisdom and power, and through the, the, the power of the cross, the blood of Jesus, God can say, you will never die again. This will never happen to you again. Thank you for that, Dave. Bing, Bitcoin. So in Christ, we are forgiven, no longer condemnation. We have new life, alive in Christ, complete obedience, full blessing, God's spirit, God's presence, God's, uh, God's wisdom and knowledge. I think of when Jesus was... Uh, hanging on the cross, and the the one criminal said to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And those beautiful words that we all know, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradisos, Greek word for garden. Today you will be with me back in the garden. Jesus takes us back, back to the beginning, back to Eden, God's paradise. Back to God's dwelling place with man. Back to his temple. Back to the beginning, to to this new creation. Back where the new Adam was obedient and sinless and perfect and complete and he is our king. The end of Colossians 2 says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you are buried with Christ when you are baptized, and with him you are raised to new life, raised to, par- raised to paradise, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised him from the dead. So how are we complete? In Jesus, through Jesus, because he was obedient, the Spirit of God upon him, God's presence, God's knowledge and wisdom, and he gives that to us, because we believed in him as the one true Son of God. Second question is, why Colossians? Why is it important for us to study Colossians now? We study this so that, excuse me again, I'm going to do more reading, but we study this so that you will know that the leaders at the BFA are always praying for you. So you know that the elders at the BFA Always give thanks to God, the Father of Lord Jesus Christ, for you. That they have not stopped praying for you since, the, since they first heard about you. Our elders thank and ask God to give you complete knowledge of his wisdom and will to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. They also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Our elders are glad when, when they suffer for you. Right, elders? In their body. For they are participating in the suffering of Christ when they continue, uh, Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given them 
the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message for you. For God wants you to know that the riches, of, uh, know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you at the BFA. The, the elders long for you to know the secret Christ lives in you that gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So they, uh, so they tell you about Christ, warning every one of you and teaching every one of you the wisdom of God that, that, that the wisdom of God has given them. The leadership wants uh, uh, they want to present you to God perfect in your relationship to Christ. That's why they work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works with them. The elders want you to know how much they have agonized for you. They want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. They want you to have complete confidence that you understand God's mystery plan, which is in Christ himself. For in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And not only that, the elders want to rejoice with you. They want to rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ Jesus is strong. They want to hear of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. They want to see the way you live your lives, always honoring and pleasing the Lord, and that you live lives... I'm sorry... They want to see the way you live will always honor and uh, please the Lord and that your lives will produce every kind of good fruit, all the while growing as you learn to know God better and better. They want you to continue to believe the truth that stands firmly in it, not drifting away from the assurance you received from uh, what you heard from God, from the good news. It reminds me of when if I, Tyler, if I may use you as an example, when Tyler and I, first, the very first day we met, we were talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel and talking about church and said, come on, let's go to the chapel. And, you know, I'll show you and I'll explain uh, how things work here. I'll introduce you to this guy named Dave. He's like awesome. And we came here and Dave and I shared with Tyler and we prayed together. And I said to Dave, okay, Dave, let's get this guy baptized. And Dave said, no, let's wait. Dave in his wisdom said, no, let's wait. And this is why. Because the elders want to see that we, that Tyler is living a life worthy of God. That he'll produce every kind of good fruit. That he's growing and learning. I explain this to Tyler and Tyler understands this. And he'll be baptized when he feels and the elders feel that it's time. So why Colossians? Well, this message of the mystery of God, Christ in us, uh, the hope of glory, is preached from this pulpit for the same reason that Paul wrote his epistle to the Colossians. So that you may, so they may, that they may present every one of you mature uh, in Christ and perfect in the relationship to Him. The elders want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. We want you to have complete confidence that you understand God's mystery plan, which is Christ in us. We preach fullness of deity of Christ so that no one will deceive you with all, uh, all crafted arguments, so that no one will capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual uh, powers of the world rather than Christ. We teach about 
your, your completeness in Christ, so that this truth will go with you out there. Because out there is where false teachers are. The deceitful workers who are, in sheep, uh, who are sheep in wolves' clothing. Out there is where the devil is in disguise as an angel of light and his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Out, out there is the beast with the two horns like a lamb who speaks like a dragon. Out there is the man of lawlessness who would have people believe that he, uh, he is a man sent from God, but who in truth works in accordance with Satan to serve the lie. Out there are false messiahs and false prophets who will perform great signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. And we preach Colossians because out there are those who have preached that Christianity must change or die. But Christ will never change. Christ will never die. Christ is in you. Christ is in us. His spirit is within us. His presence is with us. And we have his knowledge and his wisdom. And that will never die. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. This, that opens up these truths, Lord Father, this mystery, this secret that was hidden for ages. How could it be, Lord God, that you would dwell with us? How is it that sinful man that rebelled against you in full disobedience to your will and to your commands, Lord Father, that you would redeem us back to yourself, that you would reconcile us? How? And only through the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Father, through his complete obedience even to the point of death. He was completely obedient to your will to die, and he was obedient. He, he would rather die than dis, be disobedient to you. And Lord Father, you have given us the faith to believe in him so that we may become children of God, and then that we may, in our position, be in Christ and he in us, so that we too may now have your spirit, your presence, your wisdom, and your knowledge, so that now we may share in your glory and that we may reign with you on the earth in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend today in your presence, Lord. I just pray that the words spoken today and the thoughts that have been on our hearts would carry us through to next week. Till we meet again, uh, just looking a bit more like Jesus. Amen.